starting verse 14, again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, your brethren, your relatives, your countrymen, and all the house of Israel in its entirety are those about whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, get far away from the Lord. This land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, although I have cast them far among the Gentiles, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet I shall be a little sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples, assemble you from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And they will go there, and they will take away all its detestable things and all the abominations of the nations, or all the abominations from there. Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts follow the desire of their detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord. So the cherubim lifted up their wings and the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was high above them. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. Then the Spirit took me up, brought me in a vision by the Spirit of God into Chaldea to those in captivity. And the vision that I had seen went up from me. So I spoke to those in captivity of all the things the Lord had shown me. Let's pray. Father, we ask right now that you would just minister in our midst, Lord, that you would speak by your spirit, Lord, the same spirit that spoke to Ezekiel, that lifted him up many, many years ago, Lord, that you would speak to us in this place, what you would have us to know in the days in which we live here in 2014, uh, Lord, what you would have us to know, to understand, to put into practice, Lord, to hold on to. We pray that you would give us your peace tonight, you give us your comfort. I pray for our sister Paula tonight, Lord, that you would give her that peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, you will put him at perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you. And Lord, I pray that for our brother and our sister. Lord, I pray for our nation, which so desperately needs revival. Lord, that you would open up the eyes of our leaders and people that are uh, walking on the path of destruction and have no idea. Lord, I pray for the peace of Israel. Lord, that tonight the land is in trouble once again. Lord, and we know that uh, only you, the Prince of Peace, can bring the peace that that area needs. It will be speaking of even tonight in the text, but also the whole world needs. So we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would do what only you could do, to open up the hearts and the minds, as you said here in the text, Lord, that you would uh, give a heart of flesh to those that hearts are cold. Thank you for melting our hearts. Thank you for opening our eyes and turning us to you. We pray that your spirit would do a great work in our midst tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes tonight, I've titled our time in God's Word, A Future Hope. A Future Hope. We'll look at three things from the uh, text tonight. Removed, if you're taking notes, removed, restored, and raised. Removed, restored, and raised. Now, he starts off in uh, in the 14th verse here in chapter 11, 
he says again, again, the word of the Lord came to me, again. I don't know about you, but I hope you are. I know I am. Aren't you glad that the Lord, the word of the Lord comes to us again and again and again? There's a lot of things that come to us again and again and again that we, do, we don't really need. Uh, there are certain commercials that I see that if I see them one more time, I don't really need to see them again and again. There's bumper stickers that I see that I, if I see one more, I'm, like, I'm okay if I never see it again. You know, there's, there's things that come to us again and again and again. Uh, there's fears that come into our mind. You ever have those? Again and again and again. There's things that uh, bother us that come to us again and again and again. There's ailments that come back again and again and again. But the word of the Lord, when he comes back, that's a good again, isn't it? Again, the word came to me. And I think it's one of those things that's so small in the text, but we, we don't want to overlook that it's such a treasure that God comes back to us again, day after day, continually speaking to us, calling us back, cleaning us off, picking us up, speaking to us. Now, Ezekiel's in a good frame here. He's not in some kind of backslidden state. He's not in a bad relationship with the Lord. He's He's in good standing. And yet, no matter what, we still need to hear God's voice all the time. We need to hear the word of the Lord daily, don't we? In the Old Testament, which obviously this is the Old Testament, but even further back, all the way back in the the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible, remember that Israel had to collect fresh manna daily. They had to go out every single day, with the exception on the the day of preparation where they would take two days' worth. Uh, But they would go out every day to collect fresh manna. We need that freshness from the Lord, our encouragement, our insight. I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm positive I need insight a lot. Lots of understanding. Lord, what do I do? What, how should I uh, handle this situation? What are the things you want me to focus on here? Insights, strength from the Lord. All of these things we need to hear again from the Lord. And so we see here Ezekiel Here's again from the Lord, and what does he receive in these uh, verses 14 through 25? Will he receive some instruction, uh, some clarification, if you will, some of God's commentary, and he receives encouragement. But he also receives incredible insight of what will be coming that is significantly far off, but it's coming. The thing about God is he's not bound by time like we are, right? You and I are bound by time. Uh, The best way I can explain it, because there's really no way to explain God's dimensions uh, to frail human beings like us, but, you know, he might look at time like a map. He sees it all. It's, it's, It's all there in front of him. He's not bound by time. But he knows what's coming, and he encourages Ezekiel with what is going to take place. Now, if you've been, a, um, if you've been with us, uh, we've been going through uh, this book and having an understanding of what has taken place 
to date and also what uh, we're looking an eye to the future. But what the Lord first proclaims here in this instruction and this encouragement, what He first proclaims is that He is aware, in other words, God is aware of Jerusalem's, I, I think of it as a stunning attitude. You may not have picked it up from the text. Maybe the first time you read this text, you're like, I'm not even sure what that meant. Uh, who's talking about who here? Uh, and I, and it, hopefully I can shed some light on this. But Jerusalem's attitude is stunning. And the Lord uh, lets Ezekiel know he's fully aware of their attitude towards those that have been taken captive. Remember, uh, as I said, if you've been with us in previous studies, you know that the first two times that Babylon came against Jerusalem, the first two times, Jerusalem as a city was spared. They did not destroy the city. They did not dismantle the city. They did not burn the city with fire. The city was left fully intact, and they only took some captives, right? So it would be like someone coming and taking this building and leaving it fully intact, but looking out here and, well, the first, the first couple of runs they took with captives, they took only the princes and nobles, so we're all safe here. They just took the princes and the nobles. They would have had to take in the mayor and some of the people, like, you know, they actually, they didn't take all the princes and nobles, but they took some princes and some nobles and some that were from uh, places of either significant families, significant influence, even Ezekiel himself. We know he was from the tribe of Levi. He was uh, one of those that would have been from the esteemed class of at least religious leaders. So he was taken. Uh, with his group. And then prior to him, you remember, Daniel was taken uh, in the first wave of captives. And Daniel was from a family that um, was somewhat uh, well thought of, and, and they would have been considered the upper class family. But Daniel was a very righteous man, so was Ezekiel. But the group that they went, they were taken over to Babylon. But not everybody else was taken away. Many of them uh, were kept there in the city, and they didn't, uh, they didn't go into captivity. So they continued to live their lives with normalcy, the same way it had been. Babylon goes away, everything returns to normal. Oh, too bad about those folks that got carried away. Back to life. Isn't that like a lot like our own country? Uh, we don't even mourn or grieve for really difficult things in our country for more than, a, you know, I don't know how long it is now. It used to be a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks. Now it's probably a couple of hours, and it's right back to business as usual. What's on TV tonight? You know, what's more, you know, what, what am I, uh, you know, wh- where are we headed? You know, what are our plans? All those kind of things. But as far as this um, taking away um, and being removed from the land, there was two ways that... Uh, you could be removed from the land that was going to take place during this uh, time. And this removal, if you were taken by captive, uh, you certainly uh, knew at that point that, uh, well, (laughs) you're no longer uh, in the community that you grew up. Everything has changed. Uh, Israel, as a country... Uh, had already dealt with a splintering off the first. Remember uh, that 
the country used to be 12 tribes. 10 had been carried away, and that was done by the Assyrians. And then you were left with the other two. And with the first wave, off goes some captives. With the second wave, off goes some captives. And so it was, should have been obvious that anyone that was there, uh, the potential to be carried away or removed from the land was not something that um, was a rarity, considering the ten tribes above had already met that fate with the Assyrians, and a number of people there had also been carried away. But nevertheless, those that remained were very confident that this would never happen to them, that they were the special ones. They wouldn't have to worry about those kind of things. And so the Lord has made very clear in the book of Ezekiel that two different ways you'll be removed from the land with a few exceptions. For example, Jeremiah would be one exception. Even he would be taken down to Egypt at some point uh, at a later date as well. But there's two ways to be removed from the land, and one, as I've already mentioned, is captivity, and the other hasn't happened yet. And the reason it hasn't happened yet is very similarly to the fact that, remember, if you've been with us in previous studies, as the Spirit, and as we see here at the end of this chapter, the Spirit ends up hovering over the mountain east of Jerusalem. But remember, if you're with us in the, uh, the study, the Spirit had tra- the, the glory of the Lord had transitioned somewhat methodically out of the temple. It wasn't just poof, the glory of the Lord was gone. We actually saw the glory of the Lord move out in stages. Similarly, the judgment of the Lord had already begun. But the people that were still in the city, that wasn't apparent to them that the judgment had already begun. You guys know who Ken Ham is. He's the, uh, the director and president of um, Answers in Genesis. Uh, he often states he believes that America's already under judgment now. I agree with that. If you look at, um, uh, and, and I would say this, we're under a partial judgment. If you look at the uh, blessings and cursings of Deuteronomy 28, which we looked at uh, last week, a little bit of the blessings uh, in the first 14 verses there. If you look at the remaining 50-some verses that are in, uh, in uh, Deuteronomy 28, and you look at all the different things God says will happen to a nation that forsakes Him, we have a lot of a list. A lot, I mean, as far as the, you know, people uh, in our own country, whether it's many people with heart disease, many people with cancer, many people with diabetes, many people with autism. The list goes on and on and on. Debt, both the government debt, individual debt, corporate debt, family debt, all the things that you see. So I believe, and, and, and we can go on beyond that, hurricanes, tornadoes, storms, all types of things that happen, wildfires, all of these things, is showing that we actually don't have this just beautiful, everything is perfect, nothing is going wrong, God's complete hand of blessing. God still has a hand of blessing on us, but we still have about half the nation in drought conditions. You've got all these different things. 
that Israel was experiencing before full judgment came. Does that make sense? Just as the, just as the glory of the Lord left in stages, the judgment doesn't necessarily come in one fell swoop either. But it starts to pull, it starts to kind of cover, and those that are wise can see it. They're like, time out. If the full thing comes, this will seem like child's play. That is exactly what Israel will have coming eventually. The northern kingdom had already had that. The southern kingdom of Judah hadn't yet. So there was two ways, though, of being removed from the land. One, taken in captivity or scattered among the nations. Or two, by death. That would be the other way. Uh, Removed either through captivity or removed through death, primarily via things like famine, disease, the sword when Babylon, when their army comes in, and fire. This second form of mass removal uh, was well on its way, but it hadn't arrived yet. The, The second form being death. Yes, they had seen Remember, the people that are in Jerusalem, they had seen some of their own friends and relatives carried into captivity. But they thought that was for them. We won't experience that. They could experience something even worse. Because if you got carried away in captivity in the first two captivities, um, how many have been to Canada before? Okay. Canada looks a lot like the United States, only farther north. Right? It's colder, but there's parts of Canada that are parts of Canada that are the same as upstate New York. There's no difference whatsoever as far as temperature. Your license plates are different. People say you know things a little differently. The the, the, the accents and stuff like that. But uh, if you had a choice between, all right, here's your ch- choice. God says you can either be carried away captive to Toronto, and you'll get to have a new job there, and you can have a house, or you can be slaughtered. Which one would you choose? And Toronto looks a lot like where you live. It's just, it's a big city and, you know, it's got, you know, it has grocery stores and they drive on highways and they have red lights and all the same stuff. Or you can die of famine. Or you can die of disease. So none of those sound attractive to me. I wouldn't think they would to you. But these things are the other way removal will come, but these things haven't come yet. And no one thinks that they will. But Ezekiel, he personally saw it, didn't he? He saw the future. If you've been with us, he saw it four to five years out. He was shown the angels of judgment bringing death in chapter 9. Chapter 9, he saw the future. He saw the angels. Remember, they had the battle axes. He actually saw the slain. Then in chapter 10, he saw the angel pouring coals of fire onto the city. He saw the future. And then right in the 13th verse, look at your Bible. 13th verse, one briar. That was the last verse we finished on last time we were together. And he says, now it happened while I was prophesying that Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, died. He actually saw Pelatiah die. So he's seen himself. God showed him in this vision. He took him to the future where he could actually see the death that was coming the other removal 
It's one thing to be taken captive. It's another to be killed. The captives that were taken to Babylon, they were able to live very, for the most part, pretty normal lives, albeit not in their own country. Yes, they were homesick. Yes, they missed their uh, families. But they still had their lives, and they were still able to live uh, a normal life. Um, and, and many people today, uh, I think even more so than in those days, we have people you know, today that love to go live in other countries. But not many people like to be carried away to other countries. They usually like, to, usually like to go there on their own accord. So these are these two ways that the land uh, or the children of Israel would be removed from the area. But the Lord says that he himself uh, has scattered them. And the people that are still there, well, they would agree with that statement, but not from the same vantage point. The ones that were still in Jerusalem, if you look at the verse, it says, verse 15, when he says, Son of man, your brethren, your relatives, your countrymen, and all the house of Israel in, in its entirety are those about whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said. So what he is speaking of is all of those that are in captivity in, in Babylon with you, the captive community, all of you that are Jews that have been taken from Israel to Babylon, the group of you, what they say about you back in Jerusalem is get far away from the Lord. This land has been given to us as a possession. The ones that were still in Jerusalem, they were very arrogant and smug in their belief that they remained in the land because God had given it to them, that God had given special favor to them, that the others... God had frowned upon, and he had cast them away. But they themselves, God looked at and smiled on their lives, and they felt that they were untouchable. When people dilute or change the word of God to suit their own desires and feelings, they end up delusional, don't they? We see this happening today. They end up believing up is down, and down is up, and right is wrong, and wrong is right. They really believe we've got people on our own. We've got people that are in the clergy and pastors that actually believe now the world has told them this is acceptable, and they say, yes, that's not only acceptable, that's not only beautiful, but that's what God loves too. You name it. Just twist the scriptures and they can really believe that they themselves are under the favor and blessing of God while others are intolerant or unstable or mean or uh, just don't like people, all these different things. And, and so... The ones that were still in Jerusalem believed that God overlooked the other things that they did because he considered them his own special people and that they would be given the land as their inheritance. The other ones, we don't know what they did wrong, uh, but we know that God didn't in any way protect them, so therefore he must hate them. Well, the the reality is God 
does take credit in verse 16. He says, thus says the Lord, although I have cast them far off among the Gentiles, he did scatter them. But he also says, but I'll be a little sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. It is better to be chastened by the Lord and return to the Lord than to have the Lord basically let you enjoy all the passing pleasures of sin and have judgment finally fall on you and you're completely unready, not prepared. I don't know about you, but I am happy when the Lord sets me straight. And some things are painful. Getting sent to another country wasn't easy for Ezekiel, wasn't easy for Daniel, was it? And yet, even in that place, you would agree with me that Ezekiel and Daniel definitely found a sanctuary in the Lord. The Lord even brings him all the way back in a vision to the sanctuary, although he doesn't like and doesn't enjoy what he sees. But the people that were so arrogant, they had mixed in their paganism with, remember this is the dangerous combination we have in our own country. Uh, One of the best examples of it you'll ever see is I know it would be difficult, but just to kind of make sure you fully understand the mixing of paganism and God, watch like 15 minutes of the Country Music Awards. That's one of the, it, it is one of the best examples that you'll possibly see because these are a group of people that many of them live as worldly as can be. I've been married four times or five times and, you know, this, that, and the other. And it ha- this song's about getting drunk and this song's about God and this song's about getting drunk and this song's about God. Country music. One of the best, you, best examples you can possibly look at as you're, you're, you're watching it you're like, how do they, what Bible are they reading? How in the world do they put all this in the same blender? And Israel was doing that. Those were the ones that still lived in Jerusalem. They really believed. They had the gigantic God Bless America t-shirts on with a huge American flag on the front. And were at the honky-tonk till 3 in the morning the night before. And they believed that God had their back. When actually God was saying, get on your knees. And they weren't listening. We have that example in our midst. And a lot of the people in country music grew up in churches. And I'm not trying to pick on, I actually like some country music. You have to be extremely selective because a lot of them you can't listen to because it's just about things that, uh, that glorify sin, but some of them are fun and clean, but it's a good, in, it's a good in, but it's not just that. You can watch the same on the Grammys. You'll see people give credit to God for this, that, and the other, and you're like, this makes no sense. That movie was you know, R-rated, full of all kinds of junk, and you say, I want to thank God for... I'm telling you, he did not give you the script. Dear Hollywood uh, starlet or whoever's uh, receiving that night. But when you start to add to the words of God and you start to just make his word and kind of custom fit it to your life, you start to believe your own lies. Proverbs 30, verse 6 says, Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. See, that's an unconditional thing. Once God steps in, he actually knows what he said. You won't be able to say, well, I thought you meant this. 
So we thought that this would be okay. We thought it was okay if we redefined marriage. We thought it was okay if we just, um, you know, blew off these commandments. We thought it would be okay if, if we just lie a little bit here and there. We thought it'd be okay uh, if we covet a lot and we live a covetous lifestyle. And then God says, no, no, these things, I will remove you from the land. Let's look at, um, we see what the Lord has done. Uh, he doesn't spend much time here on talking about death uh, and the calamities will come, but we saw that in the first uh, 13 verses, and we saw that in chapter 10, and we saw that in chapter 9. Let's look at the, the restoration, though, the, the, the beautiful take, uh, things that will take place. Therefore, thus says the Lord God. Remember, he doesn't really drill down on um, the slaughter of the people because he's already covered that, but he's talked about the other form of removal, that being captivity, and saying that uh, there is coming a day that those of Israel that have been scattered among the nations, he says, I will gather you from the people. Who's going to gather them? God's going to gather them. I will gather you from the peoples where you've been assembled, uh, uh, from the countries where you've been scattered. I will give the land, I will give to you the land of Israel. They will go there and they will take away all its detestable thing and all the abominations from there. And I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them. Now this restoration that the Lord is talking about, it's not a one-time thing. It's the same theme here. Just as the, just as the glory of the Lord left in stages... Just as the judgment came in stages with a final fury of judgment, um, the return or the full restoration comes in stages as well, and then there's a final fulfillment. If you've been with me on any kind of prophecy teaching, uh, the, the Jewish study of the Bible or Midrash, um, if, if you can see my circular, each circle follows the same pattern and overlaps with the previous circle, but it's, it's kind of moving to a final conclusion. Where, where we can see this very clearly is when the children of Israel were scattered by Nebuchadnezzar and he dispersed them. And by the way, this is what all the ancient kings, the Assyrians did the same thing with the northern kingdom. When they would take you captive, the way that they would make sure that the nation wouldn't kind of regalvanize is you would take groups of people and you'd plop some over here, you'd plop some in Toronto, some down in Mexico City, put some, if the, if the, let's say your kingdom was all in North America and you'd take it over. You'd want to put them in different places outside their original land so they would assimilate with the new land and never would come back because they would assimilate with the Babylonians and eventually they would just be Babylonians and they would never want to revive the country because they had all been intermixed. Amazingly enough, the way God has done this, uh, everywhere in the world there's still Jewish communities. <laughs> and, and they're fully intact Jewish communities. Now have any Jewish people intermixed? Of course. But there still remains very strong Jewish communities. Doesn't matter if you're in Argentina, doesn't matter if you're in Eastern Europe, doesn't matter if you're in Canada, doesn't matter if you're in Australia. Anywhere in the world you'll find 
fully intact Jewish communities. Well, that comes later. Remember, they're carried off to Babylon. Seventy years they would spend in captivity in Babylon. Seventy years. At the end of that 70 years, we know Nehemiah, remember, he wants to go back and rebuild the walls. Ezra comes back. They end up rebuilding the temple. But does everybody go back at that time to Israel? No. Many don't even want to go back and choose not to go back. So it's only a partial return, but the return that's partial is still beautiful because Nehemiah is a godly man. Ezra is a godly man. The books of the law are reopened. There is a revival among those that go back, but it's not complete. And then we have others. Then comes the time of Christ. Jerusalem is destroyed again by who? The Roman Empire. This takes place in 70 AD when Titus, he destroys Jerusalem. And then you have an even greater disbursement of the Jewish people than even Babylon did. So Babylon dispersed. Assyria had already dispersed with the ten tribes of the north. But then you have the Roman Empire really disperses because the Roman Empire covered a wider swath all the way over to England, North Africa. So you actually have another disbursement. And that takes place. And then what do we have in our lifetime? Well, we have a return. 1948, Israel becomes a nation. It's a miraculous story we don't have time to go into. Anyway, Israel becomes a nation, and now you have more, uh, more actual people living in Israel that are Jewish than died in the Holocaust, which was just passed, what, a couple of years ago. Big, uh, a big deal. And so there's been a replenishing of the land. But is it complete? No. There's still... Uh, the everyone's not back in the land. And Israel doesn't even control all of its land. If you're watching the news right now, you know that Hamas and the Palestinian uh, Authority and what's taking place in the West Bank and what's taking place in the Gaza Strip and all that's going on there is a turf war. Now, Israel could take it all back. They have the military might. They could actually do it. But guess what would happen if they do that? The entire world community will turn on them like you've never seen before, and they know it. They're stuck between a rock and a hard place. They have to make sure that they do everything just right, make sure that they take care of everything, try not to be too, um, even though they, uh, we've been to Israel and, and uh, really the opportunities are there are tremendous for anyone, but they find themselves in a really difficult place. But look what the Lord says in verse 17. I will give you the land. Now, the Lord already has given the land back. The promise of the land is already being fulfilled in our lifetime. The blessings of the land are being partially fulfilled in our life. Actually, both are being partially, neither one are being fully fulfilled because the full amount of the land that was given to Abraham is not even back under Israel's possession. Most of it is, um, but again, they're not uh, controlling certain areas of it. Uh, they've ceded that control to, for example, Gaza Strip, West Bank, or at least parts of the West Bank. Um, but all these things that we see happening around us are not catching God by surprise because who does the land belong to? Him. 
anytime he says, this battle's over, it's over. It belongs to them. When he says this will take place, this future restoration, Isaiah 43, 1, it says, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. The Lord says the people belong to me. I formed you as a nation. Israel didn't decide to be a nation. Abraham was minding his own business in Ur when God says, Abraham, go to a land I'm going to show you. Where is it? Just go. When you get there, you'll know it. Or I'll show it. Then you'll know it. That rhymes really good. It wasn't in my notes or anything. And it becomes the nation. But the people were created by the Lord, but the land was chosen by the Lord. Psalm 60, verse 7. The same verse is quoted twice in the Psalms, also Psalm 108, verse 8. Gilead is mine, and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet for my head. Judah is my lawgiver. There's a lot of my and mine in that statement by the Lord, isn't there? What are all those places? Well, they're not only tribes, but they're also swaths of land. They're also the land itself. So he's saying, Chesterfield is mine. Henrico is mine. Powhatan is mine. It would be the same way of saying these. Originally, those were not just counties. Powhatan was the name of somebody, wasn't it? The same way. Ephraim was the name of one of the sons. Each of those were names, but they became parcels of land. But God says, the land belongs to me. Psalm 60, verse 7. The people belong to me, Isaiah 43, 1. What part of Israel doesn't belong to God? It all belongs to him. So when he says, I'm ready to do this new work of restoration, it will, no one can stop it. The United Nations can't stop it. Iran can't stop it. Saudi Arabia can't stop it. Palestinian Authority can't, nobody can stop it. Even the United Nations, I mean, even the United States, and we get in the way sometimes too, we couldn't stop it. I thought we had the military to stop everything. No, we couldn't stop it either. God's ready to do this work. Psalm 53, 6 says, Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When God brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. That was looking forward to something that had not taken place. Oh, that the salvation would come out of Zion. Who is the salvation that comes out of Zion? Jesus Christ. He is the one that says, I will give them a new heart. I will put a new spirit within them. Think about yourself before your salvation. You needed a new spirit. You needed new thoughts. You needed new actions. Israel is a nation. It's a beautiful place. And there are people that are coming to Christ in Israel today. Our brother Sam will be here this Sunday. If you get a chance to ask Sam about his trips to Israel in the back, ask him. Amazing things are taking place, though. There are people are coming to the Lord. He's planted a number of churches there, uh, all the way down at Eliot, all the way up to the north in the Golan Heights, all that area. Uh, the whole, the whole is, uh, area of Israel, people are coming to the Lord, but a tiny percentage compared to how many God wants to bring into a relationship with the Lord. It's nowhere near what God will do. 
when he takes and he puts a new spirit within them. See, if you go to Israel today, it's great that the highway system is, looks like ours. Buildings are beautiful. Tel Aviv looks like Chicago. I mean, a beautiful city with high rises, and you've got all the kind of infrastructure that we have, and the same kind of high tech, and you know, all these high tech companies are there, and all that stuff that, that you find. But there's still a big problem. Many people in the land worship Muhammad and Allah. Many people in the land reject Jesus Christ because they're Jewish, but they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. Many are agnostic. Many are atheists. Many are pursuing just the same kind of things that Americans want. They just want a good life, but they don't want God. And this is where the Lord says, and they will go there. They're coming today. This hasn't happened yet. And they will go there. Who's they? They that have become the redeemed of the Lord will remove the detestable things and all the abominations. They'll get rid of idolatry. There will come a day that you won't find a mosque. You won't find atheism. You won't find a rejection. But that won't come until when? The millennium reign of Jesus Christ, when he sets up his. So we know that even some partial fulfillment that we see now is not the full fulfillment. It's not the full picture. Those things are coming. We'll see more of that when we get uh, to Ezekiel chapter 36, where, by the way, this same uh, uh, passage is reiterated about, I will give them the heart of flesh. We see that restated again in Ezekiel chapter 36. Um, Real quick, just turn with me real fast over to Hebrews chapter uh, 8. Reminds me of the man who said he uh, he was trying to impress the pastor with his knowledge of scriptures and how much he loved loved the Old Testament, especially that one written to Hebrews. It would seem like an Old Testament name, but it's not. New Testament, but it certainly was written with a lot of uh, viewpoint on the Old Testament. And he requotes uh, the writer of Hebrews. We don't know for sure who the writer of Hebrews was, but in chapter 8, um, look at verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make in the house of Israel after those days, after many days, this is far in the future, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, that has already happened individually. Sam Nadler is living proof of that because he's Jewish and he rests in Messiah. His name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He already has this verse, the laws in in their mind and I'll write them on their hearts. But that hasn't happened collectively for the nation state. So that will also take place. It'll not just be the individual salvation, but there'll also be the salvation or the restoration, the transformation of the nation. Look at, verse, look at chapter 10 and verse 16. Chapter 10, verse 16. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Thankfully, we see this taking place individually, but a day is coming where these things will also take place for the nation. There will be a restoration. Let's look at the last, the last few minutes we have. Verses 22 to 25, go back to chapter 11. 
Ezekiel, taking notes, raised, we looked at removed, we looked at restored, now raised, verses 22 through 25. So the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of God of Israel was high above them. And the glory of the Lord went out from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. And the Spirit took me up and brought me to vision back to Chaldea. We'll stop there. Once again, we have a foreshadowing. We have something that's taking place right there while Ezekiel's there. We know the Spirit moves, or the, the glory of the Lord uh, moves. He sees it moving out. The whole, the wheels, the cherubim, they move out the east gate. Remember the east gate is facing towards, you know, that would be towards modern day Jordan. That would be towards Iraq, Iran. All that is facing east. Glory of the Lord moves out the east gate. Now, if you go out the east gate, Jerusalem, you, the east gate is still, uh, it's not the original east gate. And amazingly enough, it's built directly on top of, it's the only gate. Imagine this. It's the only gate that's built on the exact same spot as the original gate that Solomon built at that same spot. Underneath it is, you've got to go dig down the earth. Uh, we can't get to it, although it, it's known because it's held by Islamic rule there. They kind of control that area. But underneath that gate would be the gate, the original gate Solomon had in that same. Uh, so it's right on top. But it's sealed on the outside wall, and that faces directly the Mount of Olives. That's the mountain directly to the east of the east gate. So the glory of the Lord comes out, the, out of the east gate, and rest on the Mount of Olives. That should be very familiar to you if you've read the Gospels because Jesus spends a lot of times on what mountain? The Mount of Olives. He does a lot of teaching there. When he comes uh, the week of Passover for his death, he comes down the Mount of Olives through the East Gate. When he comes back at the end of the age, guess which gate he's going to come through? The East Gate. Guess which mountain he lands his feet on? Mount of Olives. Isn't that cool? That all of this takes place. Now God sees the, He sees it all. It all is to you and I, it's like some Rubik's Cube that doesn't make any God acts. It all makes sense. That everything is done with a purpose. I don't even know why some of the purposes God has done. Neither do you. No one does. Why? He does some of these things, but we see that in the Scriptures, wherever you see the same geographic location mentioned and it kind of comes back, think of that visual again. It keeps overlapping until the final fulfillment is done, and the glory of the Lord which leaves will finally come and never leave again. Isn't that great? But Jesus will come back to the Mount of Olives. It says in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 3 and 5, on that day... His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west. Then the Lord your God will come, and the Holy Ones with Him. Here he sees a very sad, sad thing. Because Israel has rejected the Lord, because they've been rebellious, because they've been smug, because they've put in the blender 
idolatry, sexual immorality, and mixed it with God's holy standards and threw it all in the blender, just like the Country Music Awards. They threw it all in the blender and thought God would be okay with that. The glory of the Lord has left. They will soon be fully unprotected from the Babylonian uh, army coming in four to five years from this point. They will annihilate and destroy the city. But the glory of the Lord left prior to that. Folks, before a country completely implodes, sometimes God even does a little hands-off and people get even more full of themselves before the judgment comes. But in God's great mercy, he says, I'm not done. I'm not done there. If you read the whole story, I'll come back to the same spot, back through the gate, and I'll sit on a throne and be worshipped by all of those who love the appearing of the Lord. Don't you look forward to his appearing? When he's not leaving the Mount of Olives, but coming to the Mount of Olives. See, Jesus will return to that place, and it won't be. Matter of fact, everyone will see him return at the end of the age, not the rapture of the church. That's a different moment. But at the second coming when he comes, all eyes will look upon him. And those of us that have gone to be with the Lord, will actually come back with him to the Mount of Olives. What a glorious uh, time that will be. And then we see what the Lord has Ezekiel do. He takes him back, raises him up in the spirit, back to Chaldea. And the vision that I had seen went up for me. So I spoke in the captivity the things that the Lord had shown me. See, the things that God is showing you and I, we have to tell somebody, don't we? He hasn't raised us up out of the miry clay of our former lives to keep it a big secret. He also hasn't raised us up to actually go back and remix with the world and do exactly what we see on television. If you know God coming out of one side of the mouth, the world coming out of the other side of the mouth. But Ezekiel was called to say, Thus saith the Lord, guys, the Lord visited me, and this is what's coming. Oh, by the way, this is what the people in Jerusalem say of us. They think God cast us off because we're the scum of the earth, and they are God's most favored children. They're not. They're the ones that are going to be destroyed. We need to pray for them. We need to pray that they repent. That would have been Ezekiel's response. It wouldn't have been, oh, goody, now that I found out that they make fun of us for being taken in captivity, let's all wait for their destruction. Remember that's what Jonah wanted with Nineveh? He really had a hard time praying for people that needed to repent. He, he wanted to sit, as a matter of fact, he wanted, a, he wanted like a courtside seat of their incineration. But all the things that we see around us, we actually know, we should know, that judgment really is coming. It's coming for America, it's coming for England, it's coming for China, it's coming for the whole world. It's not just our own country. The nations, God says, he will judge the nations, plural, all of them. North Korea's dictator, he will not be able to get away with his stuff forever. All that stuff, but until then, claiming your truth, we pray that you would just uh, fill us with your spirit, send us out as faithful witnesses empowered by your love and your mercy and your grace. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
you are dismissed.